Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 113. Would you please stand for the call to worship? Praise, O servants of Yahweh. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. For the Lord is high above all nations, His glory above the heavens. And who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high, who humbles Himself to behold the things that are in heaven and on the earth? He raises the poor out of the dust, lifts the needy out of the ash heap, that He may set him with princes, with the princes of His people. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Praises to Him, to Yahweh. Our salutation comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. To the church of God, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who everywhere and every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me in prayer? We come before you, Lord, to proclaim your name, to praise you for all the things that you are, to dedicate this time and this day to the service of you, for all the things that we would normally do, this day belongs to you. So we ask that you would take our thoughts, take the thoughts of our hearts, the words of our mouths, the meditations of us, and make them acceptable praise in your sight, for you are God, our God. You are the one who has redeemed us. Receive us and our praise, for Jesus' sake. Amen. I'd like to turn you in Scripture. Trying to follow the bulletin this time. Uh, I'd like to turn you in Scripture to Genesis chapter 42. The last time I preached, and this time uh, I used the two passages of Scripture that we're supposed to read to put together some of the history. And so this time we're in Genesis chapter 42. I'd like to read from uh, verses 13 to 24. They said, this is the brothers who are there in front of Joseph now. They don't know who Joseph is. They don't understand that Joseph can understand their language. He's talking to them through an interpreter. They said, Your servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, as It is as I spoke, saying, you are spies. In this manner you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you. Let him bring your brother, and it shall be kept in, he, you shall be kept in prison, that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you. Or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison for three days. Joseph said to them on the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison house. But you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses, and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. They said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear him. Therefore this distress has come upon us. And Reuben said to them, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. 
They did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter, and he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned to them and talked with them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. They're remembering what they did, and Joseph is reminding them of what they did. (laughs) What he's doing is he's getting ready to explain to them what repentance is and what forgiveness is. And so that's why the sermon is uh, Joseph's final exam. Uh, And you'll notice it's Joseph's final exam, not his brother's final exam, so there's a little surprise in that. I'd like to turn you to Genesis chapter 44. I'd like to read verses 18 to 34. As you may notice in this, what we're doing is we're looking at the the repentance and the reception again of Joseph and his brothers. And we want to look at that and what it took and what it takes, and we want to understand it. So that's the topic we're having. If I can read from Genesis chapter 44, beginning at verse... Uh, let's see, what did I say? Beginning at verse 18. <coughs> then Judah came near to him and said, O oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you, you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who was young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother, his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to you, My lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face. So it was when we went back to to your servant, my father, And we told him the words of my Lord, that our father said, Go back and buy us a little food. But we said, We cannot go back down. If our youngest brother is with us, we will go down. For we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One went out for me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces. And I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring my gray hair with sorrow down to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to your father, to my to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became a guarantee for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? Uh, we'll look at this. Uh, what I want you to see is the difference between the Jacob, uh, the excuse me, the uh, Judah who said that they should take him and not only throw him in a pit, but then instead of killing him, they should take him out of the pit and sell him for 20 shekels of silver into slavery. And now this is the Judah who's saying, make me the slave instead. If we could begin, please. My three points, if you wish them. 
Our first, pushing for repentance. Second, recognizing repentance. Third, giving forgiveness. And then, if I may add just one more from chapter 45. What does forgiveness look like? So, if I may. The report of Joseph's dreams and his brother's hatred of him was putting to murder him in order to let them to put him to death or try to. Judah changed that to slavery. So, the 20 shekels of silver went into their pockets and Joseph went down to Egypt. Reuben reports his attempt to, to, to frustrate that. He put him in the, they said, he said put them in the pit and he intended to go back when they weren't looking and take him and take him back to his father. But Judah's sending him out in slavery to the Midianites, uh, that frustrated him. And Reuben didn't say anything. I want you to recognize that. Reuben tried to frustrate them, but not wholeheartedly. And so you see the brothers now, the eleven of them, they are guilty before Joseph. They have, when see, when Joseph was 17, they sent him into captivity. This is 13 years later. And uh, Joseph has been a slave for those 13 years. The brother's admission, which Joseph is listening to, Reuben here, Reuben says his things, and Joseph is listening. They don't know who Joseph is. And I suppose you need to understand that a little bit. Uh, the dress of the day describes you. Still does. In those days, if you wore long robes, or at least uh, knee-length robes, and you didn't shave very often, and you didn't wash very often, you were probably a shepherd. And so down come 11 shepherds to Egypt who hates shepherds. That's why they wind up in Goshen because they can't live among the rest of the Egyptians. That's a curse to the Egyptians to have to live with shepherds. So they're standing there now and they're hearing that Joseph is... Uh, well, they don't know who he is. They know, he's a, know that he's a big man in Egypt. But they don't recognize him. They don't recognize him because his haircut is different. And his clothing is different. Where they have the long, heavy robes, he's probably stripped to the waist. That was typical of the Egyptians. His haircut was short. His skin color was not the same as the, the brothers. Because in order to make him look like an Egyptian, so the Egyptians would recognize him and worship him, well, in some sense worship him, consider him of great power, uh, his skin was probably dyed. So he looked like an Egyptian, at least from a, di a distance. And so the brothers are looking at this guy and they're saying, this is an Egyptian. And he's talking to us through an interpreter which means he doesn't understand us. But he does. So that's setting up this for you. So you understand what's going on here in this uh, exchange. The brothers admit to what they did. And Reuben says, I told you not to. Nobody denies it. But nobody says, 
we're going to do anything about it. Because what it is, is you're looking at here what is admission of sin, but not repentance. If I turn you to Matthew chapter 18 for just a few verses. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, then let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. No, they didn't like tax collectors any better than we do. <coughs> What's going on? Jesus is saying that when somebody sins against you, you can't stay quiet. If you stay quiet, you're abetting the sin. You have to go and confront that sin if it's possible. Sometimes we chicken out. And when we chicken out, that usually means a long-term separation. It usually means anger, frustration. And uh, we don't talk to the other people. And they don't talk to us. It separates families. It doesn't always separate families, however. It uh, separates races. And so, I'd like to move to that first point. Pushing for repentance is appropriate. It's required. If it doesn't happen, well, just look around in this nation now. How many people are still mad about what happened 150 years ago? How many people are still hurt? How much separation is there between the races? And if you think the separation between the races of black and white is bad, you should see what the Orioles think about us. Especially the ones that uh, still live in Bakersfield, California. Where in the 1870s and 1880s, and in fact into the 1900s, if they wanted to go to the store, they couldn't go out on the street. They had to go through tunnels. And they could come up in the back of the store maybe with a tunnel, or there'd be stores down there that they could shop in. They weren't allowed on the streets with the whites. They were the ones who built the railroads. But the hatred was there. We thought they were less than we were. And they hated us. But that goes on. We still have that even today. doesn't matter whether the race is Oriental or Black or Arab or French or German. I mean, after all, how well did the Dutch like the, French, like the Germans? Uh, I went to Dort. I walked onto campus and the first thing they told me was I was going to have to change my name from Fluck to Vanderfluck to Vanderfluck to Fluck. Because <laughs> I don't like Germans. In fact, they don't like priests for that matter either. That kind of long-term hatred that hasn't been addressed. You see, the priests, the Dutch hate, because many years ago, allegedly, I stress the allegedly, Boniface the missionary went from Netherlands to Frisia to preach the gospel. And the priests were cannibals at Eden. That's the legend. Okay? So since, what, 1300s, 1400s, maybe earlier than that, the Dutch and the priests have not liked each other. So what happens when sin isn't confronted? It happens in your family. It happens in your life. So you see that requirement that God is giving to us is you have to deal with sin. 
You have to take it on your shoulders and you have to say, this sin is there. And even if they are terrible, 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 you have to go and say, God says this to you. And you have to do it without a club. And you have to do it without the police. Okay? Eventually you would go to the police when it says take two or more so that all things are set in line. That's when you go there. But you have to begin the process by saying, I'm concerned about you. I'm not concerned about what you did. I'm concerned about you. Because they are, as human beings, more important to you than you are to yourself if you understand 1 Corinthians 13. So, that hatred has grown up in Joseph's family. It's grown up in Judah's household, in the Jacob's household. But we can see that all the time. It's not only racial. Sometimes it's religious. Sometimes it's uh, classic. And I don't mean by old-fashioned. I mean based on the classes. You live on the street. Don't come to my neighborhood. You don't drive the red car. Don't park on my street. Same thing happens here. And instead of saying to my neighbor, he's more important to me than I am, and speaking with him, and helping him, and dealing with him in any way, I just write him off. Well, that's what the brothers did. That's what the brothers did to Joseph. And so we read about Joseph being hurt. We read about what Reuben said. Didn't we hear him crying? Didn't we listen to him when he pleaded with us not to do this to him? And we said, nah, you're conceited. You're dad's favorite. Dad did this stuff for you and made you better than the rest of us. And you think you are. You think even God talks to you. We don't want any parts of you. And so not only were they going to kill him, which they didn't do, they separated him from themselves. And as a matter of fact, let's be fair to them. They didn't kill Joseph. And they didn't say they killed Joseph. They just took that bloody coat back and they said to Joseph, to uh, Jacob, do you recognize this coat? If you recognize this coat, whose is it? And Jacob said, oh, it's Joseph's coat. Some wild beast has killed him. And they didn't tell him no. They knew it didn't happen because they put the blood on the coat. Nobody said anything. There were 11 of them doing that, or 10 of them probably. And uh, nobody said, wait a minute, we're wrong. So the sin continued to grow and continued to grow. And I propose that if it wasn't for God's grace, it would have continued to grow in Joseph. Joseph sold as a slave. And he gets into the house of an important man as a slave. And the important man sees that he's quite capable and he becomes number two in the house. Wonderful. And then Potiphar's wife steps in. And Potiphar's wife steps in and she says these things and yells these things and Potiphar doesn't listen to Joseph and he doesn't take Joseph into account and he sends Joseph to prison. And Joseph gets into prison and the prison warden looks at Joseph, sees what he's capable of and makes him number two man in the prison. And so Joseph, who was thrown away as a slave by his brothers, now becomes number two in the house. And then he's thrown away by the house and put in prison. He's number two in prison now. 
And Joseph's looking at this and saying, I remember those dreams. God said this, but it's not working out that way. But he doesn't say, I'm going to give up and I'm going to hate everybody and I'm going to fight back. Joseph looks at it and says, I don't understand why, but I'm going to do what's right. If I'm supposed to be a slave, I'm going to be a good slave. And he does. The only time he protests being a slave is when the two prisoners have a dream. And he says, I was a slave. I was made a slave. But I told your dreams. And he tells the butler, uh, when Pharaoh lives up to this, remember me to Pharaoh. Because I've been a slave and I don't want to be a slave anymore. Otherwise, Joseph is going along saying, I can't do anything. If I say it, they get mad at me. I'll just be quiet and do the thing. I want you to understand that's how Joseph's responding. He's not confronting the sin. He's just saying, well, I guess I, guess I just have to live with it. And so he's doing it. That says something good about Joseph and something bad. There's sin. Joseph's not confronting it. I suppose I should ask the question, how often do you confront sin? How often do I confront sin? I mean, yeah, I can do it from the pulpit, and most people expect that to be done a little bit. But if I come into your house and I say, do you realize that this thing you're doing is sin? Uh, will you invite me back? Probably not. So too often that isn't said by pastors. Hinted at, maybe. But not said. Because we're not really interested in sanctifying our brothers. We're really interested in just making peace. And that's not calling for repentance. And that's not recognizing sin. So if I can go to the second point here. Recognizing repentance. And here we want to go to chapter 44. And I want to remind you of this. Joseph's brothers came back with him. They went down the first time. And on the first trip, they discovered some things about Joseph. They didn't know who he was. All they knew was he had pressed them a little bit and they said he had, they have a father and a brother. And Joseph said, Hmm, how old's your father? Father's an old man. How old's your brother? He said, Bring your brother here. I want to see your brother. Why would an official of Pharaoh want to see another member of the family? See, nobody asked that question. If the brothers had been interested in those things, they might have thought, he's after something. What's he after? He's accused us of being spies, but he doesn't need a brother to come down to prove that that we're not spies. What's going on here? But they're so used to just ignoring things and not facing things down, it never comes to up. So they go back and they protest, and Jacob finally says, all right, take Benjamin along. If I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. And so they go down. And they come down. And they get there. And Joseph has them greeted the same way he greeted them before. He's an Egyptian. He talks to them through an interpreter. But he understands every word they say. 
And he invites them to his house for dinner. And when they come to dinner, they look at the places that are set for them. And they're in order of birth. And nobody says, how could that be? Joseph takes that into account. When he buries, the, when he has the, his cup buried in Benjamin's sack, uh, he uh, sends his man to say to the to brothers, didn't you expect that somebody like, like me in this office in, in Egypt, uh, somebody like me would have a contact with the gods and I could, I could do divination? And so here's my cup. It wasn't a teacup probably, it was probably a wine glass, a wine cup. And he may have been reading the dregs of the wine, I don't know what it was. But they looked and they said, yeah, if he can tell the future, he, he knows all of that. That's how he knows this. It never occurs to them to ask, how much more does he know? Because they're so used to ignoring sin, even their own, that they don't bother examining. There's no sanctification happening there. There's no sanctification going to happen there. So here they are. The brothers have given up. They have uh, gone to the house. Now they go out away and they find that, that uh, the cup is in Benjamin's sack and they come back and they're really upset now. Now they're really in trouble. They know it. Benjamin doesn't say that he didn't steal the cup but he probably did protest it. But there's the cup in his sack. How did he get there? You see, Joseph is looking for a way to charge them in a way that they will understand. He's looking for a way to confront their sin. And he's going, you might say a little bit far, but he's going to do it. He's going to make sure that he's pursuing that sin, pushing them to repent. He's trying to push them to repent by convincing them that they are guilty. Although they're willing, willing to admit they're guilty. But doing something about it, they're not ready to. And so Joseph keeps going. And he's uh, pushing them. And he gets to the point of pushing them and uh, there they are. And Benjamin is going to be kept. They don't know what to do. They say, well, we'll all stay. Joseph said, no, 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 no. Just the guilty party stays. Just the guilty party. Because I'm not interested in everything. I'm getting to the point of your sin. So there they are. And we come to what I read in chapter 44. Joseph had said, commanding the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, put each man's money in the mouth of the sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the youngest and his, with his grain money. And so he did. And then Joseph sent the steward out to confront them about the cup being in Benjamin's sack. He overtook them, spoke to them in the same words. They said, why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us. And then they open their sacks and they find everything just as he said it was. So they drag him back. June and his brothers came back and they came to Joseph's house and he was still there. 
And they fell down before him on the ground, and Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Did you not know that a man such as I can certainly practice divination? Just in case you were wondering how I knew this stuff. And you might be suspicious that I knew more about you than you think. Don't you know that a priest in Egypt can practice divination? Of course you do. Broadcast all over the world. So they relax a little bit. Then Judah steps forward and says, What shall we say? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants, and here we are. God has caught us, and these are our sins. And we understand it. And we're here. We also, and he also, with whom the cup was found. We'll all be your slaves. It's an attempt at repentance. But it's a broad thing. We know we're sinners. We all know we're sinners, don't we? And we confess our sins. Do you ever make a list of your sins in a day to confess them? It takes me a couple of hours to go down that list if I do that. When you just say, forgive all my sins, Lord. I know I committed a whole bunch today. Joseph is still pushing for repentance that he can recognize. Oh, they're willing to admit to in general, but not in specific. And then, later in chapter 44, beginning at verse, verse 18 and following, Judah came near, and Judah said, Oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in your my Lord's hearing. Do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked the servants, Have you a father or a brother? And we said, Yes. We have a father, an old man, and a brother who's in the child of his old age, who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children. And his father loves him. And you said, bring him down to me, that I may set eyes on him. And we said to you, that we can't do that. If he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said, unless your youngest brother comes with you, you shall not see my face. You won't be able to buy food. Judah is setting it up as if Joseph's at fault. So when we went up to your father, we told him the words that you said. He said, go back and buy a little food. We said, we can't do that. If our youngest brother is with us, we will go. But we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. And your servant said, your, my, your servant, my father said, you know my wife bore me two sons. One went out for me and surely he is torn to pieces, I said. And you have, if you, if you take this one from me and calamity befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to the grave in sorrow. And then something happens. Joseph is looking for a change in behavior. He's looking for a change in behavior saying, we'll all take the blame. He's looking for a change, change in behavior saying, I know guilt is there. He's looking for somebody to, say, to step up and say, I'm guilty. Punish me. Now, Judas still isn't quite clear on this. But this is a change of behavior. Judas the one who said to sell him as a slave. And now Judas says, let me be the slave instead. Judas says, my guilt is such 
then I should take the punishment, even though he may not clearly understand exactly what the sin was. But he understands who Joseph is. And he doesn't understand what's going on. He's caught. He's caught himself. Judah seems to have been catching on to something real slowly. It's in Leviticus 19.17. You will love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's in 1 Corinthians 13 as well. You will love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. In fact, you will love your neighbor more than you love yourself because your neighbor is more important to you in your eyes than you are. And you say, wait a minute, that's not true. That isn't. Isn't that what Jesus said on the cross? Judah steps in and he begins to take that little bit at a time. The Good Samaritan. I can do this. I can spare my brother. I can spare my father. I can do this. Joseph sees this and it's what Joseph has been looking for. Joseph says, these guys aren't hard. Maybe not, hard. Maybe not soft yet. But they're not as hard as they could be. And here's one of them, the ringleader as a matter of fact, who's soft enough to say, what I did was terrible and maybe I can make up for it. Let me take his place. Joseph says, well, first of all, you really can. But secondly, the fact that you're interested in doing it indicates that you're not the same Judah who told him to sell me for 20 seconds of silver. There's been a change. There's been a change. And it will grow to be repentance fully. But it's the start of repentance. And Joseph looks at it at that change of behavior saying, it's what's necessary. This is what happens. You want to see what could change our society? What would happen in our society if we decided as Christians to take some of those people who are downtrodden or despised and go to them and say, what can I do to help you? People are looking at it now and saying, you can give to the poor. Does that help them? Yeah, to some extent. Well, what happens if you say to them, why don't I try to help you get out of the situation you're in? Even if it takes time and some of my money, maybe all of my money, even if it takes giving up some of the things that I think are really nice and important and I have to move you into my house. What do you do? You see, this is what it takes. Yes, if you have a family, you can't do that all by yourself. I'm not saying that needs to happen. But what I'm saying is we need to think of what we can do. We need to begin showing that to others. You see somebody in your class in school who's having trouble with algebra. Boy, I wish you came to mind when I was in algebra. You say, okay, I'm going to try to teach in algebra. It took time. It would have taken lots of time. I was slow. But what would have happened? I might have passed algebra. I might have passed algebra and I might not have gone into the ministry. 
I might have gone after my father and into engineering. Well, in God's providence, I was supposed to be here, so here I am. But what would have happened if someone had come along and said, Jay, let me help you? My pride would probably have jumped up and said, I don't need any help. But it might have broken through. You see, repentance means that I'm going to look at what I am and I'm going to say, I've got to be different. I've got to change. That's what Joseph is looking for in his brothers. What changes them? There's ten of them there. One of them isn't involved in this except except that he's the example. The other nine are sitting there saying, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. And Judah steps forward and says, here's what I can do. And Joseph says, this is the beginning of what I'm looking for. In our society, one-on-one, we could do great things. Group on group, we could do great things. If we cared enough to. And if we were willing to. If we said to God, you have forgiven my sins, and you have forgiven my sins, and now you've sent me out to give that message to others around, and I'm going to give that message and say, this is what Christ can do for you. And I'm supposed to be an example of it. Judah will almost get there. But that's just part of the final exam. Here's the last question. In chapter 45. Joseph could not restrain himself before all these those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? His brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near me. So they came near. He said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, therefore, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. These two, year, these two years of famine have been in the land. There are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me here before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land. And then he says, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to give you a good place to live. I'm going to make you free men. I can do that. Joseph looks at them and he says, God did this. And he did this for a purpose. And here's the purpose. The purpose is to make me see what repentance is and see what forgiveness means. Forgiveness. Joseph completely accepts the repentance of his brothers. doesn't hold their sin against them. He proceeds to, to describe to them what God is, has done and what God has done as far as they were concerned and what he understands God having done even though they didn't intend it. You meant it to me for evil, but God meant it for good as it is this day. So if you went to Matthew chapter 25 and looked at Jesus as the judge, Jesus says, Inasmuch as you did this to one of the least of these my brethren, 
you did it to me. Joseph has taken the repentance of his brothers and he's looked at that repentance and he said, you know, I have to repent of anything I was holding against my brothers. And I have to do that not just by saying, it's okay, by showing it. He doesn't say to his brothers, you can live in Egypt, we'll make you slaves here. He says to his brothers, we'll make you rich people here. I'll feed you. I'll give you all of the authority that I can give as number two man in Egypt. I'll give you a land where nobody, none of the Egyptians want it and you can raise your flocks and you can do whatever you want to do there and you can have this and you'll be respected in Egypt. He says, I can go and I can do what I ought to do as a brother to you. And my point in this is, that's what repentance is. If I recognize that someone's name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, then I have to treat them as if I recognize that their names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if I realize that their names aren't written in the Lamb's Book of Life, I have to confront them and proclaim to them what it takes to bring them to salvation at my expense, at my time, at what they respect me for or disrespect me for. I have to give myself away to them. We say we want repentance. But when repentance comes, it also means we have to repent of our sins. And holding a grudge is our sin. Or being dismayed at them and not wanting to be with them because they were mean to us. That's our sin. We have to go out and we have to do for them what Jesus did for us on the cross. We have to give ourselves away to them for God's honor and for their good. And that's what this final test with forgiveness is. But this final test of repentance. Joseph is looking for repentance. Yes. And he's doing it reasonably close to the right way. But when the repentance comes, then the final test comes. And the final test is Joseph have you repented of your sins and are you prepared to care for them with forgiveness? And that's what we're supposed to see in Joseph's final exam. Would you come with me for a moment in prayer and then today receive the offering. Father, we ask that you would cause us to understand what you have done and what you have shown us in, jo- in Joseph. We ask, Father, that you would cause us to recognize the nature of that repentance. Theirs, but especially ours. So we ask, forgive us our sins. And give us righteousness, we ask. For Jesus' sake. Amen.